0: The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Well, if you have your copy of God's Word, if you will turn with me uh, to the Book of First Corinthians, First uh, Corinthians chapter fifteen, is where we'll be today. Uh, I've entitled this message "Resurrection Bodies." Uh, resurrection bodies. Just to show you the depravity of my heart, uh, I kept thinking of an alternate title this week, uh, and all I could think about was, uh, if I said you had a beautiful body, would you hold it against me? But I couldn't figure out how to make that work, and figured you might misconstrue it, so um, I went with resurrection bodies, so hopefully (laughs) that will suffice, yeah, you know, look, Because you need to know that all of us, all of us are sinful people, aren't we? All of us, our minds will go places that we think, wow, I I can't believe I just thought that. Or I can't believe I just said that. Or I can't believe I just did that. None of us are there yet. None of us have arrived. All of us in this room, all of us. Every believer in this room and every believer on the planet is in the process of being conformed to the image of Christ. There are no saviors in this place. There are none of us who have crossed a line and, and finished. We're still in this thing together, right? Just to illustrate that a little more, and I didn't plan to say this, but just the other day, you, you've heard me talk about one of my pet peeves and my frustrations is, is people driving in the left lane Slowly right? Well, I'm going up Woodruff Road the other morning, going to the gym to work out, and I'm I'm riding up the road, and I'm in the left lane, and I can't go anywhere. There's traffic to my right. There's traffic in front of me, and I'm going as fast as I can. I'm not tailgating the guy because I'm not going to be up right on his bumper. And about that time, just when that car beside me in the right lane begins to go past me, this little white car comes zooming by me and cuts right in front of me to the point where I had to slam my brakes on. Before I knew it, I had laid on the horn and the guy in the, in the car in front of me that just cut me off threw his hand up, it was the index finger, it wasn't the other finger, and he did like this. He motioned, in other words, saying, get over them, right, telling me to get out of the left lane because I was going slow. I couldn't go anywhere. There was a car in front of me. Before I knew it, I was overcome with rage, and I began to talk to this guy and point fingers, and it was again the index fingers, and I was gesturing and I was saying, "Where would you like for me to go? I can't go anywhere." And then it, it, it just this realization came over to me, Scott, you're a pastor, you know, and and uh, I backed off and and. Uh, I had to come to that place of of repentance in my life. And I I share that with you because I, I just want you to know that there's none of us, none of us who don't need what we find here. All of us need the gospel. We need the gospel every day. We're constantly bumping up against our own sinfulness, which would disqualify us from heaven and the presence of God forever. It, would, it indeed qualifies us for the very wrath of God, but God in his grace and his mercy has poured out that wrath on Jesus so that we might trust in him, not as a one-time jumping off the diving board, but as the pool that we swim in every day. So let me just remind you of that as we come to this text and be open to the convicting of the Holy Spirit and the leading of the Holy Spirit as he teaches us and leads us into all truth today. Let's, let's look at this, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'll, be, I'll read the text in just a minute, but let me ask you this. Are you a fan of movies or stories that have alternate endings? You like those? You know what I'm talking about? A movie that it, it, it ends in a certain way, but you think, boy, that could have went another way. Or you're sitting in the theater, and all of a sudden it just ends, and you're going... Really? That was it? You know, we had that experience the other day, and, and it ended not so much like that, but it, was, it wasn't one of those where we were just real disappointed in the ending, but it was one of those where they left us with this, we could have taken it this way, we could have taken it that way, and so as a family, we sat around and we talked about how it could have went and how this might have happened and this and that. And, and what I want you to see as we come to this text is, that's real easy to do, when it's on the screen or when it's on the page in front of you, and it's not your real life. Or it's not an experience that is so common and universal as death and, and, and the decay that we experience in these bodies. It's easy to do when it's other things, but when, when it comes to this issue of the body and death and, and resurrection, these bodies will literally be raised, it's hard for us to, to comprehend and understand bodies that would be different than these bodies. And as I read this and we explore this text today, that's the problem they're having. They can't understand. Paul, to this point, has, has argued from verse 1 up to this point about the, the validity of the resurrection of Christ, about, about the resurrection of, of all believers, and, and what will happen, what would be true if, if there were no resurrection. He, he, he he just celebrates in what is true because of the resurrection. He then points to their own behavior and says, Look, you're behaving in a way that says that you actually do believe in a resurrection. And we, as apostles, we certainly are. We're going out and we're dying every day for the sake of this gospel. And so he presents this case for resurrection and he comes to this point where he assumes that there's no other conclusion to which they have to arrive other than, yes, you're right, the resurrection is real. There is resurrection of the body. But he knows that there's probably some there that are still struggling with the logistics of it. And their struggle is rooted in that very thing. They can't imagine a body being raised that is different than the one they have. They assume that it's going to be just like the body they have, and so this creates a problem for them. And, and Paul here is going to anticipate their questions and cut them off at the pass and answer them really before anyone in particular has answered. So let's look at this together and we'll walk through what these resurrection bodies will be like. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. And the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. There's a lot in this text. There's a lot that we could say. There's a lot that I could really deal with if I were to go line by line and word by word. And I'm going to do that largely. But I want you to know that even at the end of this sermon, when you, when you think, Boy, he's covered every bit of it. It's exhausted there. There's still more in this text. There's still more here. The Word of God's living and active. So we won't get to everything. Maybe all your questions won't be answered. In fact, I know they won't. But we're going to look at, I believe, what Paul's trying to say to these believers who, if they now are convinced that there is a resurrection of the body, they just can't get their minds around how. So, Here's what he says. He anticipates these questions, and he, he tries to answer them before they can ask them. And, and these questions, he, we need to know they could be asked in a couple different ways. He knows that probably this group of, uh, of Corinthians that he's been writing to, some of them now have these questions, and they're asking them from sincerity of heart. They now have been convinced, and now they are still wrestling sincerely with these issues. They know all too well the the frailty of their bodies and how their bodies are breaking down, and they think, in eternity, how, how would this body benefit me? But he also knows that there's still some in the crowd that are prideful, and they're asking this question arrogantly. They're not asking with sincerity. They're asking, assuming they already know. They're wanting to put Paul in his place in the same way that the Pharisees and the scribes tried to put Jesus in his place, by asking questions they thought would trip him up. So some are are asking sincerely, some are not. I want you to see here that the reason I point that out is the fact that it's okay to bring our questions to God. It's okay to wrestle through things. It's okay to not quite understand how this could be and, and to to communicate and, and to ask that before God. It's okay to go to, a, to someone you know who you think is, is maybe knows a little more than you and could, could point you to a right understanding from Scripture. It's okay to do that as long as we're coming sincerely. But if, if we're coming in an arrogant way as a skeptic, assuming we already know all of this stuff about Christianity is just a waste of time and I'm just here to appease somebody and I'm going to try to try to just you know, disprove this thing. If that's the way you've come in today, friend, you've come in in an arrogant, prideful way, and you will leave unhelped. It's a waste of time for you to be here, and the least you could do is to be honest with yourself about that. The better way to come in is to say, I don't know everything. I'm not sure that all this is true, but I want to come and I want to learn for the believer in the room, the way that we should come to this is even if we don't understand this, we should come asking sincerely, knowing that this is the very Word of God, that it is true, and that we need it more than anything. And I would say that position is the position for everyone in the room, whether you're a believer or not, because this is the Word of God. But I can't convince you of that. But what I'd like to do is to ask you today to listen with an open mind to what he's going to say. So he starts with this question that he assumes they're asking, how are the dead raised? And he turns and he gives them some illustrations. He turns and he looks at nature. He can hear in their minds some of them saying, you mean to tell me that a body is going to die and then come back to life? I can't believe that. That would be crazy to believe that. He can hear some of them still saying that to which he's going to say, really? You watch this every day. He says to them, all you have to do is look to agriculture. He says, look to a man, a farmer who's out there in the field, and he's sowing these seeds. It, It happens then. What happens, he says, when you plant a seed? What happens to that seed? Does it not die in the ground? When you take that seed and you, you pull back the dirt and you place it there under the, under the earth and you put the dirt back over top of it, maybe you put some fertilizer in first, maybe you water that, but what happens is there under the ground, that seed dies, it decomposes, it, it breaks down before it comes to life. And then he says there in, in, in verse 36, that's 36, then he says in 37, when, it, when a person plants a seed... Do they expect that, that that seed itself will simply work its way back to the, the surface of, of the Earth, Or do they expect something else? I mean, nobody in here guys, let me give you a, a heads up. Valentine's Day is just around the corner. Uh, we're at February 2nd today. You've got just a few few weeks, but nobody in here will go to the flower shop and say, "I would like two dozen of your best seeds." There's not anybody in here that would do that. Why? Because nobody plants seeds expecting seeds. You plant the seed expecting the flower because what goes into the ground is not what will come out. And then he says to them in verse 38, if a person plants the seed there of of corn or some other thing, what should they expect to grow from it? If if a person expects, in verse 38 he says, but God gives it a body as he has chosen and to each kind of seed its own body, no one would plant corn and expect a harvest of watermelons. No one would, would plant grass in their yard and expect kudzu, unless you were ripped off and you got some bad seed somewhere, but you don't sow it expecting something different. You sow what you expect. Now, that may be confusing, but here's what he's saying. The plant world shows us that when the body of a believer dies, the same body will be raised, but it will be very, very different. You know, the seed that goes into the ground, not the body, but the seed that goes into the ground... That seed, that seed doesn't work its way up to the surface, but what comes out of the earth and grows there, it's not a different DNA or genetic structure of what was put in. It's the same thing. And in the same way, Paul's saying that when the believer dies and is placed into the ground, when he is raised, it will be his or her body. It's that same body, but it will be raised in a much different way, in the same way that a Stalk or a, of, of corn is so different than that little kernel that goes in. The same way, he's saying, just as different as that is will be the bodies that come out in the resurrection. He's saying, you're imagining this thing as the body, the, the, the same way it is right now, but it's going to be very different. Then he turns to a second question, and he says, with what kind of body do they come? Again, he can hear them saying, how could the resurrection body possibly be that different? And again, this is where I want—I use the illustration to say it's hard for us to imagine an alternate ending so different when it's so personal. Death is universal. It's coming to all of us. And they're saying things, like, when, how could the resurrection body be, possibly be that different? I can't imagine that. And Paul replies in verses 39 through 41 by pointing to the diversity that exists already in creation. In 39 through 41, he says, all flesh is not the same. There's one kind for humans, there's another for animals, there's another for birds, there's another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another there is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars. And star differs from star in glory, he says. They're saying, but I can't imagine these bodies being that much different. And he says, look, don't just look at the seed going into the ground and dying and coming out something different, although it's the same. Look around you. Look at creation. Look at, look at animals. Look at humans. Look at the stars. See the diversity that already exists. Let me give you just some illustration on this. John MacArthur in his commentary had listed this out, so I just want to share it. It was really good. Uh, All protein is made up of various combinations of of amino acids. So uh, protein consists of combinations there of amino acids. There are some 600 octodecillion different combinations of amino acids. That's a lot. Now here's here's how much that is. An octodecillion is ten to the one hundred and eighth power, or in other words, a one followed by one hundred and eight zeros. There's that many different combinations of amino acids that make up this, these different proteins, and each combination of amino acids makes up a different species of animal or plant. On top of that, each individual plant or animal within a particular species has its own unique grouping of these amino acids. We know this. When snow falls, you can hold out your hand and you can see flakes fall on the glove that you're wearing. And and you'll look, and and if you'll look closely, every single flake is different. Every one of them is is different and unique in its own way. You You look at people, we're all very different. You look at plants and all these different things, they're all very, very different. No two flowers, no s- snowflakes, seeds, blades of grass, or human beings, not even identical twins, are exactly the same. Paul says, look at the diversity that is all around you all the time. Do you really question that God could make these bodies something different than what they are? And he goes on, and he says, not just the animal world, but look at the diversity in the heavens. Look at the astronomy in the universe. We live in a solar system that consists of, now, eight planets. When I was in school, it used to be nine planets, but Pluto was demoted, done away with, right? And, And all of these planets, they orbit a star known as the sun, in our solar system, there are, we have a moon, we have asteroids and meteoroids and comets that pass through from time to time. Our solar system exists within the Milky Way galaxy. In the Milky Way galaxy, there are estimated at today somewhere between 200 and 400 billion stars. And the Milky Way galaxy is just one of as many as 200 billion galaxies that each contain somewhere between 200 and 400 billion stars. He's saying, you look at those stars, and I don't know if you've ever done this, but you go out on a clear night and you look up at the stars, and you can see some that are brighter than others, some that are a little more pale. If you look closely, you can see some that that might have sort of a, a, a pinkish hue at times. Others may be more yellow some maybe more blue if you do any research on this you you see just the diversity that exists out there among the stars and the moons and all that exists up there and he's saying to them it is audacious of you to look at God and say that it would be impossible for him to create a body to transform these bodies to be something different than what you already have saying, how, how dare you do that? If we look at creation, we look at these things, and we see just the creativity of our God. Watch Discovery sometime. Watch Animal Planet sometimes, and you'll see. And this is what he's pointing to, just the, the diversity out there and how audacious it is for them to claim, I just can't imagine them being that different. Well, Paul turns from illustration, and, and then he begins to answer this question well, then how different will these bodies be? What will they be like? And this is what I want to spend the majority of our time on this morning. In verse 42, he says this, what is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. In other words, the word perishable means subject to to deterioration or to eventual death. And we all know this is a reality. All of us are dying. There's not a human being around us, among us, that is not Dying, headed toward death. It starts at birth. It's a great moment when a baby's born. But that's the day that baby begins to really die. We're all headed that way. We, we know that we're headed that way. We're subject to disease and injury along our lives. Some of you right now are going through battling something cancer or some other thing maybe it's something else in your body that's just breaking down and going wrong he says look when when we are sown in these bodies in death we're sown perishable we know this when i was 10 months old i fractured my skull some of you say well that explains it I was crawling up on a foldable chair in the fellowship hall of our church with a concrete floor, and the chair folded out from under me, and I went headfirst onto the concrete at 10 months. fractured my skull. When I was 10 years old, I got the chicken pox, and I remember being so sick of those stupid things all over my body, how they itched everywhere, couldn't go anywhere. I was so glad I was out of school, but by the time I was three, four, five days into it, I was so wishing I could be at school. I couldn't stand it. I remember saying to my mom, Mom, can I at least just go out on the back porch and sit in the rocking chair just so I can get outside? I remember that's a vivid memory of mine, sitting in that rocking chair, looking out over our backyard with these things all over me. I used to have warts so bad All over my hands when I was a teenager that I mutilated my fingers trying to cut these things off. You want to see it, you come look at this finger after the service and I'll show you this. Every time I would have a a date with someone someone new, I didn't want that girl to see these warts. And so I would cut these things and I would cover myself with band-aids. And I would look like I stuck my hands down in a garbage disposal. And she would say... Well, what happened to your hands? And I would say, oh, I was working on a car. I'd make up some excuse, and I had these things, and they would just grow on me out of nowhere. I don't know where they came from. We get the flu. I was talking to Shane this morning, just recently came through the flu. We get the flu. We suffer from allergies. We break bones. We, we have discs in our back that that bulge. We have Arteries that harden, cancer grows out of nowhere, Alzheimer's takes the mind away. All of these things are what it means that the body is perishable. But he says, what's sown perishable is raised imperishable. Wayne Grudem says it this way, These bodies will not wear out or grow old or even be subject to any kind of sickness or disease. Can you imagine that existence? Never, never a cold, never a sniffle, never an allergy, never a broken bone. Never. No signs of aging, he says. We'll have the characteristics of youthful but mature manhood and woman or womanhood forever. That we will be completely healthy and strong forever. This is what it means to be raised imperishable. Now, can you wrap your mind around that? We can't, right? And this is where they were struggling. How could these bodies be that different? But church, this is such good news, he says. These bodies, we're not simply going out into eternity without bodies as disembodied spirits to float around forever. But these bodies will be raised and be transformed and go from perishable to imperishable, perfectly healthy and strong forever. Isn't that good news? He also says this, these bodies will be raised glorious. He says they'll be sown in dishonor and raised in glory. The word dishonor here is, is the word humiliation. We, we really probably should not glamorize death for the believer. I've often said at funerals, you've heard it said, maybe you've said it too, is that you know, for the believer, death is simply a doorway. We just walk through that and, and we we enter into eternity. And that's true for the believer, but we shouldn't glamorize it because often we know the walk down the hallway to that door in those last days can be incredibly hard, can't they? I mean, just horrific some of the things that you've had loved ones go through you've watched your loved ones as they've walked closer to that door and many of you in this room have said things like i just wish god would go ahead and take them i can't stand to see them suffer the way they do my grandmother had alzheimer's and was in a nursing home for 15 years Um, wasn't in the nursing home that whole time but those last several years of her life she was there and i remember as as a Teenager, when she first began to develop the signs of Alzheimer's, it, it was comical in the beginning, some of the things she would say. I remember her in the bedroom with my, my grandfather before they were going to bed, and she was in the bed already, and grand, my, my grandfather was walking across the room wearing nothing but his boxer shorts. The TV was on, and there were some women in, on a commercial on the TV, and at that point, they whistled in the commercial for something. In her mind, they were real, and they were whistling at him. And my grandmother wanted to fight. She came, she was raised by two, not just one, by two angry drunks in the mountains of East Tennessee, and she could throw down, and she was going to. And, and it was comical in the beginning, but it quickly became not so funny. It, it, trans, trans, it passed on to the days when she would carry around a baby doll Believing that the baby doll was real and care for that baby doll. It went to the days when she was there in the nursing home and, and she couldn't feed herself anymore because her limbs had locked up. It went to the days where her limbs were drawn and locked up and her mouth was just gaping open, not saying a word, not knowing anyone, till she, she finally passed. And this is the picture of death. It's not glamorous. It's dishonorable. We look at those we love and we don't like to see them that way. It's, it's hard to see them that way. But the Bible here says, Paul says, that which is sown in dishonor will be raised in glory. And the idea here of glory is that all of that dishonor will be taken away. That, it will be, that, that finally that person will become beautiful and attractive This is what is spoken of in Matthew 13 when it says, Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father, but not with a beauty or dignity of their own. In the same passage that we're in today, in verse 49, it says, We shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. There's coming a day when death will no longer leave us and, and take us in dishonor but we will be raised with the beauty and the glory of Christ. Third, he says that we will be raised, these bodies will be raised in power. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. And Here, maybe I'm reading too much into this. I don't think I am, but weakness here could have at least a couple of different things in mind. In this context, we are powerless, when he he talks here of weakness, sown in weakness, we are powerless to do anything to stop this death. I mean, don't we all know it's coming? What can we do to stop it? We can eat right, we can exercise, we can go on all these juice diets and cleanses and wrap ourselves in all this stuff and stay out of the sun and don't smoke and all these things, but in the end, all of us are going to die. And we can't do anything to stop that. There's not been anyone in history who's been able to stop death. With all of our advance in technology and science, we have yet to figure that out. You pick up your phone. Can't your phone do some amazing things? I watched last night. anybody watch Shark Tank, that show on TV? I like that show where they invent products and want to come and you know. Someone had went into the iPhone and figured out with the vibration and the different. Calibrations of the mapping system and all this in the phone. They figured out how to use what's already in there, so that you can set your phone up on its edge on a flat surface and click a button, and it will rotate on its own without a base as it takes a 360-degree photo. Isn't that amazing! My phone just is spinning. Watch this. You know, some of us can't turn around without falling down. You know, but our our phones do that now. With all of the advance in technology and science, we can't stop death. We're powerless against it. I think another thing it could be speaking of here is not this just powerlessness to stop death, but also we are weak in our faith. We're, we're weak in our resolve to follow God and to obey Him and to love Him fully, aren't we? We're weak there. We're weak there. And even though we have everything we need for life and godliness in Christ, we find ourselves in exactly the same position that Paul found himself saying, the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things that I don't want to do, I go on doing. We find ourselves over and over again failing to live up to what we know is right time and time again. We're powerless to stop death. We're powerless and sometimes in some way, to live obediently and rightly. But the Bible here says, Paul says, these bodies will be sown in weakness but raised powerfully. As weak as we are to stop death, we will be raised with a power that death cannot defeat. Acts 2.24 says, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. I love that verse. It's as if there in the tomb, Jesus is laying in that tomb and death is trying to keep its grip on him and it's trying to injure him and hurt him and hold on to him, but it cannot stand, it cannot keep its grip. It eventually has to release that grip because the power of God to raise Jesus from the dead is greater than anything that would come against it. He says here in this passage that we also will be raised like that. Romans eight eleven. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. We will finally have all the strength that we need not only to defeat death, we will come to life, these bodies will be raised, but finally I believe also we will receive this perfect strength to finally be under the domination of the Spirit in our lives and to perfectly obey. Romans 7, 18-19 says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing But there's coming a day, Paul says, where that will come to an end. This wrestle with sin and temptation will come to an end. Won't that be great? Don't you, as a believer, aren't there so many times where you find yourself having just committed, having just done the thing that you said you'd never do again, don't you find yourself so many times just down and beating yourself up because of what you've just done again? And we have what we need to say no to that. The power of God lives in us, but we know we struggle and we wrestle with sin over and over again. But there's coming a day when we will never have those feelings again. And it won't be this disembodied spirit existence, it will be in bodies. These hands that do things that you say, I'm never doing that again. These eyes that look at things that you say, I'm never looking at that again. These mouths that say things, I'm never going to say anything like that again. They'll never give us those problems ever again. Isn't that good? And then he says this, that we will also be raised spiritually. And here's where he changes just a little bit. He says in verse 44, It is sown a natural body, speaking of these bodies, sown a natural body, but it will be raised a spiritual body. Well, Paul switches gears just a little bit here. He's been contrasting death and resurrection with some pretty serious realities. Perishable, dishonor, weakness, Natural just doesn't seem to fit here. It doesn't fall in line with all of these other things that will be true of these bodies. The answer, I think, to this question of, well, how does this fit, what is he saying, I think is found in what he contrasts natural with. He contrasts that we'll be sown in natural bodies, we'll be raised as in spiritual bodies. And the, answer I say, the reason I say this is the answer is Think back to what we've learned about what the Corinthians were saying. What was it they were claiming about themselves? Weren't they claiming that they indeed were spiritual? That they had already achieved the spirituality and that they looked at Paul and weren't they accusing him of being natural, earthly, less than? And what Paul here is doing is, is coming back to the heart of what's going on in this church. And he's saying to them, You're saying that you can be spiritual without a resurrected body. What I want you to know is that our spirituality is not finished and not complete until these bodies have indeed been raised and transformed to, to be fit for that afterworld, that next world experience of living with our God. We, we live in a culture that says, you know, I, I, I'm spiritual, but I don't go to church. Oh, I'm a very spiritual person, but I don't really believe in Jesus. I'm, I'm spiritual, but I don't really like organized religion. And what they're saying is, I want to achieve this sense of spirituality where I'm right with God, but I don't want to have to live under any moral authority. I want to be able to live my life however I want and determine for myself what is spiritual so that I can feel good about this thing that's coming. Death's coming. I can't do anything about it. I don't know how it's going to happen. It may be very dishonorable. But I want to be able to feel good about what's going to happen after this. And this is what they're saying here. we're, We're already spiritual, Paul. We don't really think you are. We think you're a little bit earthy, and we don't really think that you're the real deal, Paul. And what Paul's doing is he's looking at them, and it's what, this is the, the language here when he, when he talks about the first Adam and the second Adam. I was so glad we, we showed that video during the offering today, showing how the, the, the whole of Scripture tells this one story. And did you catch the language there? That the second Adam is greater, he's better than the first Adam? The first Adam is, is Adam, of Adam and Eve in the garden. And all of us have borne his image. We're created like him. We're made of dust. To dust we'll return. We're fit for this earthly existence. But he says, but those who are of the man of heaven, the second Adam, they will also bear his image. Well, what is his image? What what was the last image that the disciples saw before he was transported and ascended to the right hand of the Father in heaven? They saw him not as a disembodied spirit having achieved a level of spirituality, but instead they saw him in a resurrected physical body and they recognized it as being his body. Put your hands here, he said. Place your hands in my side. He ate with them. And what Paul is saying to them is, you're claiming to be spiritual, divorcing yourself of a body, but your spirituality is not complete until these bodies are resurrected and they are transformed, not for an earthly existence, but to an eschatological or a final existence under the ultimate domination of the Spirit, where we will be fit for that new age. You say, well, we've heard this before. Maybe we've heard this at funerals. Paul talks about the resurrection. What's the big deal? The big deal is everything left, everything left that plagues us will be eradicated. Everything will be done. Death will no longer be the enemy that's coming down the hall for us. We will not have to worry about injury or sickness or getting bad news or any of those things. We're not going to struggle with sin and obeying God. It's going to be there. We're going to be powerfully able to serve our God throughout all of eternity. And we will be like Him, able to touch Him, being with Him throughout all of eternity. That's the big deal. So what Paul says in verse 49, and this is the last statement I'll make to you, is this. He says in verse 49... Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Now here's, where, here's the takeaway for you. In your translation, possibly it says, we shall also bear. And that could be right. And I think that's absolutely true that, that resurrection is going to happen and we will have bodies like, G, like the body of Jesus. But in most manuscripts that we have, going back as far as we can, this is not translated we shall bear the image of the man of heaven. But instead, it's translated, let us bear the image of the man of heaven. And what Paul's not saying is he's not saying, in the meantime, you go ahead and just, just act spiritual. What he is saying, though, is you're going to have this. This is going to be a reality. But in the meantime, don't just put it on cruise control and just check out and wait for heaven. This is reality, and it is dependent on the the reputation of God. Romans 8, 29, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of God, right? But he's also saying in the meantime, do your best to look like Jesus. And this is not saying, do your best to earn the favor of God. Instead, what this is saying is that since you have been given the favor of God in the gospel, live like it. So if we're going to live in these bodies in this day until our death or, or he comes back and look like him, then what does that look like? Well, think about the image of Jesus as he walked on this planet. He was humble. He didn't look at guys who had cut him off and Given signals in the mirror and gesture back at them. He was humble. He was a servant. He was obedient, wasn't he? Obedient to the point, even to the point of the cross. He suffered. He ultimately cared about the, the glory of God more than his own personal comfort and satisfaction. This is the point of, of the garden when he's there and he's praying, nevertheless, Father, not what I will, but your will be done. We often come to this thing of following Christ and Christianity, and we think that this thing is just about us being happy, wealthy, and wise. The Bible never promises any such thing. That sometimes the will of God for you is to suffer. And that's not pretty it's not, it's, it's not fun. It's not happy. I'm not asking you to get up every day and say, well, I'm supposed to bear the image of, of Christ, so I'm going to smile all day long, and I'm just, when people say, how you doing, I'm going to say, oh, I'm great. Cancer's awesome. You know, I'm not asking you to do that. What I am asking you to do, though, is to say, God, I don't choose my lot in life. You've given me what you've given me, and you are sovereign, and you are good in all things, and you love me more than I would ever love myself. And so God, if you, in your will, have saw fit that this is right for me, then God, I will embrace it, and I will give you glory in it. Because I have greater joy in you than I have in my circumstances. Whatever comes our way, let us by the power of the Spirit who lives in us, bear the image of the second Adam, the man from heaven, knowing that one day we will indeed bear his image in physical risen bodies. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this is a a text where there's probably not, at at least from... My thought, just real, a lot of real practical steps of application when we go out and we do one, two, three, but God, for some, really for all of us in this room, there is application in this. There is hope that comes, God, in this, and Lord, there is application as we live waiting for that day. So God, it's my prayer in this place, in this room, with these believers, God, that you might help us to bear the image of the second Adam while we live. God, I pray that whatever someone in this room is enduring and going through, God, that they might embrace it for your glory. God, I I secondly pray that if there's someone in this room who does not know you as Savior, God, that today that you might give them the hope that's communicated in this passage, that they might know with full assurance that because they've trusted in you and are trusting in you that they have this to look forward to. God, I pray that you would call people out of death. God, that you would raise them from the dead. God, that in their souls they would come to life. That they would no longer follow the course of this world blindly running hell-bound races but God, that you would bring them to life with hearts that are made new to follow you. God, I pray this, that you would do this for your glory and yours alone. It's in Jesus' name, amen. We want to give you just a few minutes to think about what's been said, maybe just to celebrate the reality of what's communicated here. Maybe there's some action step. I don't know what it is, there's some step of obedience that you've got to do in order to be faithful and obedient to God. Whatever it is, I'm going to ask you to do it. It may require something here in this time, in this room. Then be obedient. It may require simply action steps as you leave here. I don't know what's, what God's specifically applying to your situation. But I want you to think about it and ask him to show you and that you might be obedient. I started by saying, don't ask questions where you think you've got all the answers figured out. But instead, ask these questions with sincerity, knowing that you need the truth that's here. So whatever he leads you to, say yes to that. I'll be sitting down here on the front. If you need to come talk to me, I'd love to talk with you. If you need to uh, talk about how do you repent and trust Christ, I'd love to, to have a conversation with you. If joining this church is what God's laid on your heart, then uh, we're glad to to talk through that. We'd love to receive you. Whatever it is that God calls you to, be obedient and follow Him today. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.